0: showtime sports presents showtime boxing with eric raskin and kieran mulvaney
1: hello and welcome to another edition of showtime boxing with raskin and mulvaney with my co-host eric raskin i am kieran mulvaney and of course the big news in the world of boxing is alexander the former undisputed cruiserweight champion defeating anthony joshua to stake a claim to the heavyweight championship of the world and we will of course talk more about that shortly but first this seems a good point to reveal that it is all down to me. Mm. Yep. Uh, back in, I think it was 2017, uh, HBO broadcast a Ukrainian triple header from National Harbor near Washington, D.C., featuring Vasily Lomachenko, Alexander Wojcik, and Usyk. Um, that was the card where Usyk beat Michael Hunter, if you remember. Yep. And after I interviewed Usyk on camera during fight week, I looked at him and I'm like, man, you are big for a cruiserweight, you could fight a heavyweight. And there it is. That's what, you know, it was clearly, there was no way they thought about it before. No way they'd planned it as a career path. It was clearly the random guy with the funny accent and and the stick <laughs> microphone saying, you should fight a heavyweight. And and that's obviously what set the whole thing uh, off, really, and, and started him on this path. Uh, of course, then a couple of minutes later, I did point out to him that Usyk, is a Nupiat Eskimo for Walrus penis bone, which fortunately he seemed to find amusing. <laughs> um but uh there you go. So yeah, it's uh it, I'm taking full credit for all of it. Absolutely. Me, me, me.
0: Yes. No, I, I would give you full credit as well, and I, I find it telling that after he defeated Anthony Joshua. He didn't give you an ounce of credit in the post-fight interview. What, what, what a dick! We,
1: you know? The, we, no, no, no. We, we, what, we, what, we what a walrus penis.
0: We decided to keep it on the DL. Oh, okay. <laughs> so privately, he messaged you some sort of thanks?
1: Uh, no, no on the on the on the soup deep DL. Oh, the deep DL. I see. Right. Uh, I don't no, know. I've been acknowledging the conversation. All right. Well, well <laughs> probably. I mean, we've got such this thing that, like, if we encountered each other again, he'd probably act like he didn't even recognize me. Right. It's our thing. Right, right. You would with. know
0: that he's just acting, though. That's oh, right. Right. Yeah. And, and, and uh, as far as you uh, inspiring his whole pursuit of heavyweight, the important thing is, you know, he knows, exactly. I know, and now all our listeners know.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: But maybe maybe let's not tell Anthony Joshua. He doesn't need to know that you pretty much ruined his life, Karen.
1: Yeah, yeah, let's, let's, let's not. That is the flip side to it, right. all, actually. Yeah. And, you know, there's it's weird how I only came out and said, said this after Usyk won. Like, <laughs> but anyway, all right. Um, we have a lot of real stuff to talk about today on the podcast. Uh, we will be reviewing Friday's Showbox card um, with a main event that Eric and I got spec. Particularly wrong in our picks contest last week, um, we will be picking over the news of the week, uh, which is dominated by the announcement that Canelo Alvarez against Caleb Plant will be on Showtime pay-per-view, an announcement that was immediately overwhelmed by the shenanigans at Tuesday's press conference, about which we will also talk. Indeed, we'll chat with the man who had the best, closest view of everything that unfolded uh, last Tuesday, Jimmy Lennon Jr., but first to London, where Alexander Usyk outboxed, outfought and frankly outclass Anthony Joshua to take Joshua's heavyweight belts from him and leave him looking frankly like a Broken man at the end there, Eric. Yeah, I mean, how broken
0: he is exactly remains to be seen, but I'm not sure I've ever seen worse body language than we saw out yeah. of AJ as he half sat, half slumped in his corner after the 12th round ended. But uh, but let's talk about the 36 minutes that led up to that. Um, in front of an electric crowd at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Saturday, Usyk uh, officially giving up 18 and three-quarter pounds took not the heavyweight title, but a collection of belts and by Mm -hmm. consensus, the number two positioned in the heavyweight division away from Joshua, the most significant heavyweight win by a former cruiserweight champion since the prime of Evander Holyfield. Usyk used his legs, his jab, and his quick straight southpaw left hand to outmaneuver Joshua and build an early lead, uh, hurting him for a moment in the third round with a left cross, almost certainly winning the first three rounds. Then Joshua worked his way back into it in the middle rounds, possibly hurting Usyk with body shots a time or two. The fight might have been even through eight, or at least it was close Mm -hmm. enough for either man to pull it out with a strong finish. Uh, The damage began to show on both men in the final third of the fight. Uh, Usyk with a cut above one eye and marked up under both, AJ with a significantly swollen right eye. And over the final couple of rounds, Usyk pulled away finishing the fight with Joshua up against the ropes, struggling just to stay on his feet. Ultimately, it was an excellent, well-paced, competitive fight, although Todd Grisham was probably getting caught up in the crowd and the moment when he called it possibly the fight of the year. But it was fun. It was entertaining. It was well-fought. And in the end, there was no doubt Usyk had won it. The British judge, Howard Foster, had an AJ-friendly 115-113 score for Usyk. The Ukrainian judge, Viktor Fisetko had it the widest at 117-112 for Usyk. And the judging machine, Steve (laughs) Weisfeld, was right in the middle at 116-112. To me, all of those cards were fine, and I'm glad we come out of this not having to talk about the scoring too much. But I will ask, Kieran, how did you score it? And give me your takeaways on how both men fought. How was Usyk, now 19-0 and with 13 KOs, able to be as successful as he was? And what did Joshua, who fell to 24-2 and as he lost his claim to the heavyweight throne via upset for the second time, do wrong?
1: I scored it 116-112, which being the same score as Steve Weisswell was, of course, the correct score. <laughs> yeah. um, personally, I thought that was probably giving Joshua as much of the benefit of the doubt as it was possible to do. I, I think 15-13 is getting a little bit too close there. Um, uh, I'm not entirely sure at times what Joshua was trying to do in there, to be honest. I, I feel like the tenor of the fight was set early. You, t- you talked about this already. Once Usyk sort of started stepping in there and landing those fast lead lefts and and buzzing joshua i think that put doubt in aj's mind and 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 any thoughts he might have had about hey i'm the bigger man here i should you know start opening up and trying to impose myself and bully this guy i i I feel like they just kind of fell away in a sort of flood of self-doubt there were times where he just looked tentative and confused almost like he was caught between multiple plans in there Mm -hmm. AJ I thought um I, I agree with you that there was that moment there was a period in the middle of the fight where it did seem as if he was sort of slowly reeling him in a little bit like he was getting the distance just where he wanted to like he was starting to get the jam going maybe Usyk was tiring a little bit but but there was never any great authority um, behind what Joshua was doing. And, and once Usyk kind of caught that second wind and adapted to Joshua adapting, it, it just all fell away very quickly. Um, you know, Usyk's footwork, as you mentioned, predictably was key here. I mean, it enabled him to sort of move in and out side to side. The fact that he was constantly moving over those 12 rounds while carrying more weight than he's ever done against a, a big guy like that, I think it's just testament to his extraordinary conditioning that he was in. Um, you know, it enabled him to get into the pocket when he wanted to be out of it. When he wanted to be, Joshua just looked terribly lumbering in contrast. I, I thought, uh, you know, Usyk's head movement was excellent, mm-hmm. it enabled him to slip Joshua's punches, and then he also had that commitment, um, very bold for the smaller man, mm-hmm. to making sure that he answered every single one of Joshua's punches whenever he, you know, he was able to. He, he didn't let Joshua get away with anything, and. He was more aggressive than I thought he would be, Usyk. I thought there'd be a little bit more moving, um, a little bit less sort of standing in the pocket there. Um, His hand speed, the hand speed differential was greater than I thought it would be. I thought it would be a bit closer because Joshua's got some pretty good hand speed at times, especially in close, but he just was never really letting his hands go enough, Joshua. Um, At times, AJ looked to me like a guy who was getting too much advice from too many people like he was caught a bit between strategies it felt like he was thinking too much in the ring whereas Usyk had done his thinking before he got in the ring and was just executing the plan he'd already figured out um and yeah, look, that body language at the end, not just after the 12th round, but in the final 30 seconds of that 12th round, the way he just sort of acquiesced under the, that Usyk barrage at the end, that's not what you want to see from a, from a champion. You know, when he really needed to assert himself, when he really needed to be a big man in here, it was Usyk who stepped up and Joshua just kind of looked like he collapsed a little bit mentally. Obviously, he did have that very bad... I and, and Eddie Hermer was saying maybe it was a damaged orbital bone, and we've talked about that before, like what a factor that can be, just how much that can affect people. And it did seem to really go into decline right around the time that I got injured. Uh, and so maybe that was a really big factor at the end. But um, I, I thought it was simultaneously a very strong performance from Usig and candidly a disappointing one from Joshua.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting that you point out the difference between Joshua trying to figure it out, doing his thinking in the ring versus uh, Usyk having already thought it out and fighting on instinct more. And that's something I feel like we often see the difference between a guy with a really long amateur career yeah. and a guy who came to the sport a little bit later. And and I, and I feel like we've seen that with Joshua a few times where you can sort yeah. of see him thinking in the middle of a fight. And uh, also just the contrast in confidence you pointed out, uh, Joshua's confidence being taken away from him very early in the fight, him starting yeah. to question himself. Usyk, on the other hand, was just bursting with confidence in the sense that he didn't look any more concerned to be fighting six foot five, 240 pound Anthony right. Joshua than he did fighting. Marco Hook or Michael Hunter or whoever at cruiserweight. He he didn't fight like he was scared to get hit. Um, But, you know, he also didn't let AJ hit him clean too often because his footwork and his head movement, as you pointed out, were so exemplary. But um, boy, another tough blow to the crowd who thinks being the biggest, stronger man is the first thing to look at when making a prediction on a fight. Um, And. I was disappointed in Joshua on a a few fronts. Um, One thing that stood out, his body shots were consistently effective. He should have thrown about twice as many of those as he did. Just, Just keep going downstairs when Usyk is moving. Another thing is that every great giant heavyweight in history found ways to work clinching and leaning on smaller opponents into their game plans. Tyson Fury, Lennox Lewis, Vladimir Klitschko. From an entertainment and pace of fight perspective, I'm I'm glad that AJ doesn't do that, but strategically he should have. Um, but the biggest thing for me, where the hell was AJ's jab? You know, he yes. he, he threw it, but it was a rangefinder. He he pawed with it. Not once the entire fight did I see him step into an authoritative jab. You're 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 taller, longer. You've shown in the past that you have a strong jab. You have to make a weapon out of it here, and and he didn't do that at all. And I know it's a little trickier to land the jab against a southpaw, and also you're going to get countered. So I, I get that it's not as simple as me sitting here saying, step into your jab, what's wrong with you? But from the opening round of the fight, he was not using his jab as a weapon, and I thought that was the number one reason that Usyk was able to fight exactly the
1: fight he wanted to. Yeah, this is the classic case of the old George Foreman jab to the body, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That, that's what he needed to be doing. I know he's reaching down to do that, but but that combines then, as you were saying, you when you've got a guy like that who's moving in front of you, hit him to the body, and yeah, exactly, just keep jabbing him to the damn chest, right? That's exactly what big George would do. Yeah. So, yeah, it was peculiar. Talking about the whole like, uh, um, weight differential thing, there was a, a, a tweet from our buddy Cliff Rolls who said something to the effect, I'm slightly paraphrasing, that this this just shits all over the Bridgerweight division, right? <laughs> it sure does. That's the <laughs> extra benefit of this. I mean, seriously. Uh, so, yeah. But where does this leave the heavyweight division? Um, Joshua Fury is finished, obviously. Um, and my God, I mean, what would Tyson Fury have done to him if, if that's what Usyk did? Joshua does have that rematch clause. He's already said, I think, that he's interested in, in exercising it. Do you think he should? Or would you prefer to see... Usyk go against Fury but then that depends is whether or not Fury is going to beat Deontay Wilder is there actually a possibility that after all of this Joshua Fury business we're actually going to end up seeing Wilder versus Usyk for the undisputed <laughs> heavyweight championship yeah that would be uh, unexpected um
0: first yeah let's just say RIP Fury Joshua fight yeah. that would have made boxing the center of the sports universe for a moment foiled by lawyers and arbitrators and whatnot. Um, I, I suppose it still could come back around in a year or two if AJ avenges this, but it, it will never be as big as it was going to be. So brutal blow really to Tyson Fury, who I was sure would have beaten AJ anyway. Now I'm doubly or triply yeah. sure. Um, I think Joshua has to exercise the rematch clause. He has to immediately try to avenge this. He did so against Andy Ruiz and and got his career back on track. In terms of narrative, he has to get right back in there. And, you know, I was just pointing out some things he clearly did wrong in this fight. I think there are areas he can improve on. I wouldn't write off his chances of winning a rematch at all. Obviously, right now, the next steps for the heavyweight division hinge on the result of Fury Wilder 3. If Wilder wins, I kind of would assume that instead of Wilder-Usyk, we're going to get another Fury-Wilder fight because it would be 1-1-1. So so I I think you have to run that back one more time if he does uh, get the upset win over Fury. If Fury wins, then, yeah, I say make Fury-Usyk if you can. Um, Although, as we've said all along, that's the one and only heavyweight fight. Usyk would be a massive underdog in. Um, But then there's... uh, Another thing to think about a fun possible consequence of Fury beating Wilder again would be maybe it's not too late for Joshua versus Wilder. Because remember, that was the fight to make about three years ago. You know, the two young punchers, let them fly. Let's see whose chin can take it. I think it would still be intriguing as a loser's bracket showdown, yeah. put it at Wembley or wherever, and whoever wins stays in the title picture. So we we could have a few interesting options, but a lot hinges on, on who prevails in the third Fury Wilder fight.
1: One other question I wanted to ask you, because you talked last week in passing that you'd had Usyk on your pound-for-pound pound list when he was cruiserweight champion. He kind of right. hinted that if he won, maybe he'd get back on it. I, I don't know if you've had a chance to think about it or not, but if you have— is he back on it and where would you put him right now
0: yeah I, I have thought about it i haven't drawn up my exact list but i have a pretty good idea he, he he is back on it um i'll try to state my philosophy as succinctly as possible i don't need like a nobody needs to hear a five minute diatribe sure. about pound for pound philosophies but um basically i've always interpreted it as division for division not literally pound for pound because if being a smaller heavyweight is worth more than being a big heavyweight, then you probably should have had Holyfield over Lewis still pound for pound, even after their second fight, because the second fight was basically about even, and Holyfield is so much smaller. So um, that that's why I took Usyk out. I needed to see him get near the top of the heavyweight division before I could rank him pound for pound as a heavyweight. He has done that. So he is back in my top 10. But I still can't put him over Tyson Fury, who Mm -hmm. I rank ahead of him at heavyweight. They are both now heavyweights. Um, For what it's worth, I appreciate more the Larry Merchant cop-out now, him refusing to consider heavyweights for pound for pound, using that (laughs) list only to rank non-heavyweights. I see the wisdom in that. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, so I, I think I'll probably slot Usyk in at number eight, which would be right below Fury, who I have at number seven. But It's all kind of silly to get worked up over. Fury is the lineal heavyweight champ. Usyk is his number one contender. Those are the rankings that matter. Exactly. All right. So the heavyweight clash in London was, of course, the biggest boxing event of the weekend by far. But it wasn't the only fight card in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Showbox returned with a three-fight card headlined by last week's podcast guest, Jericho O'Quinn, taking on Saul Sanchez in a bantamweight bout. O'Quinn talked a good game. And we both picked him to win, but it didn't go at all. According to script, Sanchez cracked O'Quinn with a left hook about a minute into the fight that sent him crashing to the canvas. And although he tried to hold on, he never really recovered. Sanchez put him down again with a short right hand. And then a final flurry landed cleanly and caused O'Quinn to slump in the corner as referee Gary Ritter stepped in. The time of the stoppage was 1.58 of the first round. Sanchez is now 17-1 with 10 KOs. O'Quinn falls to 14-1-1, eight knockouts. Kieran, we talked last week about the fact that Sanchez had fought four times since O'Quinn was last in the ring. Was that a factor in Sanchez being able to catch O'Quinn so early?
1: And what does this result mean for both men? Well, to take the second part first, I feel like this was a bigger plus for the winner than it was necessarily a minus for the loser, if Mm. you know what I mean, because KO1's, there's, there's kind of like that uniqueness about them, right? It, right. Uh, KO1, it looks spectacular for the winner. It's a huge boost. Looks great on the highlight reel. You get a lot of attention. It's the perfect evening. You go in, you get your job done, you're out. If you're on the other end of it, you can always make the excuse that, oh, I just got caught cold. Um, KO1s happen. Um, and although they look really bad, they can be better than being battered for eight or 10 or 12 rounds. Um, it isn't a good look for a guy like O'Quinn, Um it's 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 fun being as outspoken and self-confident as he is when you're winning right but once you get splattered like that people tend to jump on you i actually noticed that on uh, the instagram post uh the showtime took a little excerpt from our interview uh, and, and posted it there are now a lot of snarky responses yeah. <laughs> to that <laughs> um I, I don't know whether the inactivity was a factor here but it might have been sometimes it just takes those extra few minutes uh, to get fully in the groove um But for all I've just said that KO1s can be excused, I am again reminded of what we said after his last fight on Showbox that we revisited last week, that from what we saw the previous time out, he had a tendency to get hit a bit too cleanly, a bit too easily. Mm -hmm. And we said then, what will happen if he gets hit clean by someone who can crack more? And, well, that's what happened. I, I do wonder if there may be a bit of a fundamental problem with O'Quinn, actually, that he allows too many good punches to get through. Um, but, you know, let's not talk about him. How about Sanchez? He came in with a plan. He knew. He stated up front. The, the announced team was talking about it at the, at the, as the fight was beginning that he said he wanted to jump on him. Yep. And he jumped on him. And then once he'd started the damage, he didn't let up. Um, and now he's the one who's genuinely poised to start taking on higher-ranked opposition. He could... Easily get another showbox main event, or honestly, he could actually get himself uh, a good fight on a Showtime Championship Boxing undercard, something like that. He's in a very good place right now, Saul Sanchez. He went in there with a plan, and he delivered, and it worked perfectly for him.
0: Yeah, and I'll just add also that um, O'Quinn came in light. Uh, he was basically like, he was one fifteen and change. I forget if it was 115 and a half or a quarter, something like that for an 118-pound fight. Mm maybe he overtrained. it's possible some combination of training full-time for the first time
1: and not fighting
0: for 20 months something about that combination didn't suit him or maybe sanchez just landed a hell of a shot
1: yeah and he did say afterwards and you know obviously fighters always have excuses just didn't quite feel right in the dressing room and that can happen you know especially if like you said the training just wasn't quite on point um you know, maybe he needs to go back to working that jackhammer. So
0: yeah, I think this is a, a case of quite literally, don't quit your day job
1: for multiple reasons. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Uh, let's touch briefly on the undercard uh, in the co-main event. Uh, featherweight Luis Nunez remained undefeated by hanging the first L on Javon Garnett via lopsided unanimous decision. All three judges seeing that fight 100 to 90. Uh, Nunez moves to 12 and 0 with eight KOs, while Garnett drops to 10 and one. With five KOs in the opener, the Pitbull sunk his teeth into the pork chop. Super featherweight, Otar Pitbull Aranosian winning six of eight rounds on two scorecards and seven of eight on the other against Alejandro Chop Guerrero to move to 11-0 with six knockouts and drop Guerrero to 12-2 with nine KOs. Uh, anything stand out to you? And anybody who particularly impressed you who you would like to see again?
0: Yeah, I mean, I was impressed with both winners in different ways. Uh, Aranosian... What a fun in-ring personality he yeah. has. There's always a smile on his face. Um, I don't see a future pound-for-pounder there or anything, but he has the makings of a fun TV fighter. Yeah. Though in this particular bout, he was certainly helped by Guerrero's shortcomings. Guerrero throws a lot of punches, but seemingly without a plan. He just yeah. lets them fly and leaves himself open. Porkchop's head simply does not move until a flush punch from eranosian moves it for him that's the only time he has head movement um and one quick additional note on that fight how did guerrero not lose a point for that intentional double shoulder that was one of the more flagrant fouls i've seen and he just got a warning um moving on to nunez he was much less fun to watch but He looked more like a prospect who could get to the top. He was dominant against Garnett, but kind of dull. I guess a more euphemistic way to say it would be to say that he was very measured. Mm -hmm. I would have been curious to see Garnett try to rough him up a little, get inside, get a little dirty, because the way that Garnett was fighting him was not working. He never made Nunez uncomfortable. Um, But I expect we'll see Nunez back on showbox against different styles, and we'll see him tested more eventually. One more note about this undercard. In both fights, the ref was telling the fighters in the corner before the final round not to touch gloves. What was up with that? I've never Mm. seen that before. I don't really have any analysis other than to to go Seinfeld voice and ask, what's the deal with that? Uh, (laughs) I I, I don't know what but it was just strange that that referee was telling them, as they are getting ready to come out of their corners, don't touch gloves, don't touch gloves. I, I've never seen that before.
1: No, indeed. I've always thought, like, the compulsion to make them touch gloves before a final round was a bit unnecessary. But, yeah, it's strange to actually... Have a compulsion for them to not to. Yeah. So, yeah. I have don't no be, idea. don't be sportsman-like, guys. Whatever you do. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. Uh, all right, let's move on, and uh, we're going to do something a little different with our news this week. As we're going to separate out the main event, which is, of course, confirmation that the super middleweight unification bout between Canelo Alvarez and Caleb Plant will be on Showtime pay per view on November sixth. Eric, we look at boxing from around the world and on all networks, but. We are the Showtime Boxing Podcast, so let's allow ourselves just for a little bit to be a pair of homers for one, shall we? Uh, how big of a deal is this for Showtime, and how hyped are you to have this on
0: the home network? Yeah, th- this is huge for Showtime, because Canelo is Canelo, and the network was a yeah. little overdue for a massive fight, a mega pay-per-view event. It seems to me that Steven Espinoza's attitude has been, for a long time, dating back to that down year of 2014, the year of Garcia Salka, when everyone was criticizing Showtime's fight schedule, that he's okay with Showtime not winning every minute of every round, that, that they can mm. give rounds away, they can let CBS have a moment, they can let some fights go to Fox pay-per-view, they'll sit and watch as DAZN spends big for a spell, because Showtime plays the long game, wants the mm. sport to do well, and they'll win key rounds when they need to. That, that's my interpretation of, of his philosophy. And it was time now for one of those key wins. Um, I don't know what went on behind the scenes, why PBC and Canelo and whoever else was in on this decision chose Showtime over Fox. Maybe Stephen put in a big financial incentive to get this one. I don't know. But Showtime got it. And there's short-term upside, uh, major pay-per-view on Showtime. If it sells well, it boosts the boxing division revenues for the year. The long-term play is more interesting. It's hey, maybe we lock down the rest of Canelo's career. Uh, right. That's that's obviously the more important piece. You know, one Canelo fight is huge for any network. Five or so Canelo fights. That's the new Showtime snagging Mayweather in 2013.
1: Right. Um,
0: and of course, I'm sure the broadcast crew is psyched to call a massive event like Canelo plant. And for us directly, as podcasters, it's TBD, whether we'll be on the scene for this. Uh, but that would seem a possibility. And, uh, you know, it's it's been a while. I hope so. If we get the call to go to Vegas for this one, to quote Canelo, we were born ready Uh, okay so the the fight is coming to showtime important to us important from an inside baseball perspective maybe not something the average fan cares about the story that crossed over here that that drowned out everything else was what happened at the press conference on tuesday the two men walked toward each other for a face-off words were said uh, one word in particular Uh, canelo shoved plant back several feet Plant walked forward through a punch that missed, and Canelo countered with a fast, open-handed shot that ended up cutting Plant's upper cheek. Then Entourage members crashed the dais, and it remained bad-tempered all the way through. Kieran, your thoughts as you watch this unfold, and what kind of impact do you think this will have on the fight or the promotion, if any?
1: My first thought was this is why we can't have nice things. (laughs) When I saw that cut on Plant's face, Mm -hmm. I immediately thought the fight was going to get postponed. It just felt like the inevitable consequence with the way things have been going with boxing this year. I thought, well, there you go. Um, I was also really struck by the legitimate venom. I've been to a lot of press conferences and some of them have been very bad-tempered affairs. I covered a lot of fights between boxers who don't like each other. You could just feel the legit anger and hatred between these two um on one level full credit to caleb plant for calling out canelo canelo claimed that he got upset by you know the word motherfucker but i think that's nonsense i mean he used it himself in the exchange as plant pointed out he's used it before uh i think he was pissed because plant kept calling him out about his ped suspension and he kept at it and he kept at it and honestly, that's a perfectly reasonable thing for Caleb Plant to bring up and to say. Um, I don't know that that's going to help him. In terms of how this is going to affect the fight, if anything, it's probably going to make motivate Canelo even more. And and I don't think that's necessarily going to work out very well for Caleb Plant, who's, who's going to be up against it anyway. Canelo's is the kind of guy who can get motivated to really be nasty and punish an opponent. Um, but he's also not the kind of guy who allows himself to be needled in such a way that his game plan goes out the window. Like right. he gets emotional in the ring. That's not what he does. He doesn't get emotional. He gets even. So, so yeah, I'm not sure that that's necessarily going to be a, a long-term good strategy for, for plant. But so what it does for the promotion, look, everyone who's involved in boxing and knows anything about boxing who follows it at all already knows about the fight and is probably already going to get it. Um, for casuals, What happened last week will come and go. They might have forgotten about it by November 3rd or 4th or so, but the beauty of it is, it is going to get replayed. It is going to be recycled. It is going to be a part of news coverage during fight week. It is going to be, um, you know, part of social media. It is going to be in all access. Um, If come fight week, you're thinking, hmm, should I bother getting this fight? You see that and you think, oh my god, these two guys hate each other. Um, And then it's going to affect also some of the things like the press conference in the way and during fight week itself so in that sense it honestly isn't going to hurt the promotion at all yeah i I agree
0: completely i mean throwing hands at the press conference it's stupid it's uncalled for it's immature (laughs) but as long as it doesn't scuttle the fight then it helps sell the fight and it helps get caleb plant's name out there that's lowest common denominator fight promotion
1: 101 on display there (laughs) exactly uh let's continue discussion of the slaps heard around the world uh as we talk with the man who impassively watched it all unfold right in front of him the always classy jimmy lennon jr jimmy thank you so much for joining us
2: oh it's great to be with you and uh, talk about this upcoming fight and uh a little bit of the uh, festivities that occurred during the press conference
0: <laughs> festivities that's a nice word for it
2: uh, <laughs> let, let's de- dive right
0: into those festivities between canelo and plant uh there you were behind them looking completely unflustered as everything went down in front of you did you have any inkling before the shove that things were about to get heated and what was going through your mind as it all
2: happened I had zero inklings that anything would happen. But, you know, the stakes pretty high on this fight. And to try, you know, get into a, a little bit of fight at this point was really dangerous. So I know that I, you know, I stepped aside during their face-off and, uh, you know, for the photo opportunities. And then I came in to close it up as they were closing it up. And they were they were hesitant to close it up. And then it got more and more heated. And then we saw what happened. You know, um, I was far enough away. I didn't really... You know, I wasn't fearing for my own safety, but uh, <laughs> I was just watching it unfold. And I felt like, man, this is just dangerous. This is stupid. Mm. And I hope nobody gets too hurt on this. And uh, so it was uh, it, it was what it was. And I'm glad the injuries weren't any worse to Caleb Plant.
1: Yeah, well, talking about that, I mean, when he emerged with a cut, I think a lot of us suddenly thought, "Uh oh, here we go. This is boxing in 2021. This is why we can't have nice things. Um, when you saw that cut, did you suddenly think, oh, well, my November 6th just opened up? Did you figure that the worst the the, the worst had happened here?
2: Absolutely. That's what I thought because it was it was bleeding pretty well, you know, and he was wiping it with a towel and they were eventually administering a little bit of uh, I think Vaseline and then eventually a band-aid to him. Uh, and, but he was pretty calm during the whole thing. And then I, you know, I did hear them say it was the glasses, the glasses that made it happen. Mm. So no, to be honest with you, I wasn't even sure until after the press conference that the cut was not bad enough. It looked, it looked pretty bad. It was bleeding pretty well. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think we were all lucky. It was under the eye, not uh, over the eye, which they always say when that happens during a fight, you know, oh, that's the worst place. But even before a fight, I I think we're, everyone was kind of lucky about the location of this
2: cut yeah yeah absolutely i I must say i'm not sure if i agree with you and maybe you know better but you know there were slaps there were open hands but then on one of the punches to uh caleb plant had a closed fist i think to the Mm -hmm. body area of canelo which he didn't Mm -hmm. land but it seemed like you know that was a serious effort to cause some damage
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i was surprised like at first i i assumed like just the way everything had been thrown that i thought Everybody was throwing punches, and I was a little bit surprised to see it afterwards that Canelo seemed to be just open hands. But yeah, I, I agree with you. It looks like Caleb went for it with with a fist there.
2: Yeah, um, we're lucky that nothing nothing serious landed. We're gonna indeed, just uh, on with November six. It's going to be a great fight. Yes. Great- Right. Um, so th-
0: you've been witness to all sorts of crazy off the wall episodes uh, at press conferences, weigh ins fights, et cetera, o- over the years. So yeah. we-, we are going to ask you shortly about about some of the others. But um, to just kind of pull back and look at the general phenomenon, having attended and announced thousands of these events, where do you fall on the frequency of these situations relative to expectation? Like, what would you say you're surprised? This kind of thing doesn't happen more often, or is the surprise more that preventative measures at these boxing events remain minimal and this does keep happening every so often?
2: Yeah, I think I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often. You know, there's a lot of uh, fuel and heat and drama leading up to these press conferences and weigh-ins. And uh, sometimes we anticipate it and, and, do a good job of separating the fighters or having security and in this case um it, it, these guys were heated and and uh words were exchanged and yeah i'm surprised it doesn't happen more often um you know i guess we have these kinds of fights where there's a lot of animosity but then we have fights where the guys just respect each other so much mm-hmm. and and i appreciate that a lot actually because that's that's what this sport is about it's, it's made the better man win and respect for the fighters afterwards. hug. And they'll, they'll, you know, have respect for each other. But uh, beforehand, it's a little heated. Yeah.
1: yeah. One of the more infamous ones of these, of course, was the Lennox Lewis-Mike Tyson press conference in Vegas, which seemed to be going fine until Mike just suddenly started walking toward Lennox. Uh, where were you relative to all of this? And were you thinking, what's going on here? Yeah,
2: yeah. Actually, um, that was in New York City. New York, and City. Uh, so we, you know, it was, it was a big fight, a big press conference. They flew me in. They flew a number of people in, of course, for the fight. I was um, off the stage. And so I introduced uh, Lennox Lewis and he came out. And then, of course, I introduced Mike Tyson, who missed his mark and walked right up to Lennox Lewis. And, you know, that might be the craziest uh, press conference uh, incident in my career, because then they went at it. Security went at it. And if you recall the scuffle turned over into the backstage where there was a, a, a curtain there and a table set up for them to sign the, the agreement for the fight. And there was uh, Jose Suleiman sitting at the table and I believe he got pretty severely injured by the, the fighters and bodyguards falling over him and turning the table over. So that was just the worst. And I remember walking away after that, we were in New York city and uh, sitting down to have lunch at, at, at John's pizza and just looking at each other, dumbfounded. What did we just see? What just happened? And what's going to happen next? And it was a it was a tough moment for me. I didn't like to see that.
0: Well, there there's no more "What did we just see?" moment in your career probably than than the bite fight. Uh, and not that we're necessarily trying to pick on Mike Tyson here, but there was a period <laughs> when trouble definitely followed him around. So yeah. you were sitting ringside uh, during that incredibly infamous incident what memories stand out from that night? And in that case, was there any fear for your personal safety at any point?
2: Yeah, there was quite a, a, uh, quite a lot of people in the ring after that fight and somewhat, uh, some punches thrown and so forth. And, you know, with Mike, you just never knew what would happen, whether mm. the fight would go short or long. it was a, you know, there was, as you said, a period of time where he was a little bit unpredictable and a little scary. And on that fight, um, I could see the replays, you know, they didn't have the big screens in the, in the arena. So the fans were a little bit perplexed. Why was Holyfield jumping so much? And and, and even the second bite when he bit him again, mm. and then eventually disqualified, there was a lot of confusion in that place. And there was actually a lot of time because um, we went to a, a number of replays and interviews and so forth, and the fans were really getting a little upset waiting for the decision and I remember some of the international press, you know, yelling to me, Jimmy, what happened? You know, they, what, what's, what's going on here? So there was a long time. Um, you know, I didn't fear. For, I've been in a lot of kind of mini riots in, in the ring and, and in arenas. And I didn't really fear for myself. Um, uh, I don't consider myself a target. And so maybe <laughs> that's why. But it was pretty crazy. And i would never seen anything like that in a fight in my life. That, that was the oddest, strangest, and a little bit most depressing thing that I'd seen mm. in a fight because, you know, we worked very hard to, to prepare to make that, that whole broadcast turn out well and be, you know, show the, the world what a great sport boxing is, how exciting it can be, and then this unfolded. And so it was a little sad as well.
0: Although just speaking of the broadcast, if I recall correctly, Showtime did win some sports Emmys and and awards for that for that coverage. So even though in the moment it seemed like a, a disaster of a broadcast, I guess there was some upside there.
2: Yeah, that's a very good point, and I know the the uh, post log of that fight was just brilliant with the slow motion and and really understanding the details of what happened in the fight. And uh, yeah, that was uh, that was an that, that was excellent. Award winning uh, episodes, certainly. Yeah.
1: Touching on what you just said there, do you ever marvel or, or just sadly shake your head at what we all seem to just put up with in boxing <laughs> and what we consider to be, oh, that's, that was kind of weird. But then we move on. I mean, obviously, entirely different circumstance. Can you imagine if before the last Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes had taken a <laughs> swing at Tom Brady? I mean, my God. And, and yet we just like shrug and go, eh, it's boxing. You know,
2: I, yeah, I agree with you and I appreciate you bringing that up. Being involved in the sport for my entire life, watching my father and going to the fights. Uh, you know, I think I'm numb to it. I think I, uh, I think I need someone like you to remind me and say, hey, you know, this doesn't happen in any other sport. Right. <laughs> and so I appreciate your reminder. But yeah, it is the things we see, the things we put up with. And I guess it's just a sport we love in the end. And we we want the best in the end.
0: Yeah. All right. So one last question on this topic. Um, It's about the extracurricular boxing brawl. Everyone has been wanting to see for decades and it hasn't happened. Are we ever going to get a Jimmy Lennon Jr. Michael Buffer brawl? <laughs>
2: you're you're telling me everyone wants to see that that's uh <laughs> yeah, sure.
1: everyone is defined vaguely <laughs> right okay
2: <laughs> i'm not sure if we've gone that far down with this board yet okay hopefully
0: not hopefully not
2: hopefully uh, not. but i'm in right. shape i tell you i am in shape so Mm -hmm. all
0: right that kind of sounds like you you a victory (laughs) if it ever happened okay (laughs) um moving on to other topics um even by boxing standards it has been a strange past year or so with fights falling out for various reasons uh youtubers getting paid millions to headline pay-per-views the seniors comeback tour some of this stuff has worked some of it hasn't i'm curious what your feelings are as a lifelong boxing guy about the likes of Jake Paul suddenly becoming one of boxing's biggest earners?
2: Yeah, um, I think a lot of people expect me to to be a purist of the sport and say, oh, no, this is terrible. But I think, you know, what you just said, some are higher quality than others. Some are more interesting than others. And, you know, I think we've we when we see an older fighter get knocked out or hurt or injured, that's that's where I just can't. Stand it, and um, I, I, for example, I'm glad to see that the Riddick Bowe event was was not sanctioned. He's not fighting, and so good. Um, so that kind of extreme, I am not for. If on the other hand, some of the uh, celebrity fights or novelty fights, I think they can be interesting. I think they should be surrounded by quality fights as well. I I know that in the Jake Paul fight uh, against Tyron Woodley, the, there were so many fans there who were kind of new and different different kinds of fans and there was a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, you know, maybe it wasn't A-level quality boxing, of course, but it was curious. And I think uh, I, I have no problem with that. You know, also selfishly speaking, I love to be part of big events. Mm-hmm. And so it's a big event, so I like to see it. But when it becomes embarrassing or when it becomes dangerous, that's where I would draw the line and, and be very concerned. Otherwise... I'm all in. I think it's okay.
0: So on those more embarrassing or or dangerous type ones, uh, you don't have to name any names if you'd rather not, but have you ever been approached to announce an event and thought to yourself, "Eh, you know what, I I think I'll pass on this one. Has that ever happened in your
2: career? Well, that's a good question. Um, I have not. Um, And fortunately, I, I have not. We haven't really seen much of that throughout my years of announcing. Um, I think the closest was bare-knuckle fighting. Hmm. And um, I really thought long and hard and, and looked into it. But the fact that Bas Rutten was involved meant a lot to me. And he he convinced me that, uh, you know, of the safety of the fighters and so forth, and that's what mattered. And so I, I did one bare-knuckle fighting and I thought it was interesting, different, um, so that's the closest I've come. Otherwise, no, I've never been asked to announce a fight that's, that I think was real horrible or embarrassing or Good. dangerous.
1: <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious how, like, on a practical matter, how challenging this last year, year and a half has been since, you know, since fights started up. Um, were you in the bubble at Mohegan Sun and having to isolate and go through batteries of tests. And how are things now? Are you still at events having to do to isolate at all or going through tests to, to get into the event? Or is it more back to normal now?
2: Yeah, you know, it was a difficult time during the pandemic to, to be in bubbles, be isolated at Mohegan Sun. It's a long trip from L.A. and then mm. the hotel room became smaller and smaller in my mind. And the food options were very limited. I think I felt fortunate, though, that I could be involved in the sport and do anything. But it was a challenge. It it, it was a lot of the fun of boxing is going out to dinner and and being with the colleagues and and being part of a big event. And that was missing during that time. I'm especially grateful that we are much more back to normal. Uh, Being vaccinated and most of the people being vaccinated is good. I think right now I'm as busy as I've ever been. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm um, I'm happy with that, um, and I think we kind of have a hybrid. Uh, some places were tested, depending on the states we go, we're we're tested a little bit more, uh, and being careful, uh, and but we follow the guidelines that are set forth by by the states we go to, and and the uh, you know who's promoting the fight, uh, and it's almost back to normal. I almost don't think about it because you look mm-hmm. in the these large arenas and people aren't wearing masks and uh, there's a, l- a lot of people there and so it's almost back to normal and it's a little bit refreshing I, certainly my wife's concerned that i come home and have covid because uh, you know that would take a couple of weeks out of my schedule but pretty much back to normal and i'm 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 glad for it All right. So we've asked
0: uh, a bunch of questions to this point about various uh, negative aspects of the sport. Uh, Hope it hasn't been too much of a downer interview, but if it has, there's relief coming because uh, we're going to try and end on some positive notes here. Um, We've actually had some great fights this year amid amid all the chaos, and we have some more coming up, including on Showtime. So I'm curious, is there anything in particular that that you've really enjoyed or, or anything that you're especially looking forward to coming
2: up? Well, you know, I love seeing the fights on Showtime. We've had some great fights, even in the in, in the bubble in isolation. We've had some great fights, but having fans there is a whole different ball game. And again, as always, at the Dignity Health Sports Park, you know, we had great fights there. And we've been very fortunate with that you know, I'm of course looking forward to November 6th. I mean, that's, that's the big fight and arguably the biggest fight of the year coming up. But then we've got David Benavides coming up in a great uh, fight. We have, um, you know, Gervonta Davis is, is always a treat to see no matter who he fights. He's just amazing young fighter. Um, So we have a full schedule coming up. It's been a great year on Showtime and much more to come. I have my calendar marked. I'm ready to go. And, Looking forward to find out some of the other details, other than the fights and fighters I've just mentioned.
0: I know, I know the uh, Brandon Figueroa Stephen Fulton one is oh. one that's high on on the list for me
2: for me and Kieran. Is that uh, pretty high up on yours as well? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I don't remember. I think that is that in uh, what's the date on that one? November twenty seventh, I believe. Yeah, I think Thanksgiving weekend. Right, is, uh, head over to Las Vegas after the meal and uh, and enjoy. Oh yeah, that's going to be a great fight and. Yeah, that, that's uh, you know, a nice unification, and um, that that fight deserves a lot of attention. It's a great yeah. one. Yeah. And David Benavides versus Uskategi, you know, David Benavides always in an entertaining fight, and Uskategi can punch, and, uh, you know, former champion, so I'm looking forward to that one as well.
1: And then, of course, as you mentioned, to sort of circle back to the beginning, November 6th, you know, the biggest star probably in boxing right now uh, coming back to showtime uh, should be a huge event for all the thousands of these events that you must have done do you still get that extra kind of excitement that extra kind of buzz for these really really huge events
2: i certainly do i really really do and i think with uh, canelo and caleb plant you know that's a boxing fans fight Mm. Uh, you know it's important it's it's a historic it's a unification and You know, you mentioned that Canelo being, you know, the number one of star boxing and he deserves to be because I believe he's the pound for pound best as well. And so, yeah, the crowd, the excitement gets into me and sometimes I have to hold it back. But I, I, you know, because I don't want (laughs) to blow my voice out or or get (laughs) very excited. And I tell you, I can't wait to introduce those fighters you know, hold the microphone for the referee and then sit down and watch it unfold because I'm a, I'm a fan as well. So, yeah, it's uh, that's going to be very exciting. and The biggest fight of the year, I think, and the one I'm looking forward to the most of the year.
1: I always think that the single most electrifying moment in any sports is that moment when you've done the announcements. The referee has given the instructions you step out of the ring and then there's just three people left in the ring that I don't think there's anything quite like it almost gets hair standing up on my arms now just talking about it
2: I'm with you and, and we're just waiting for that bell to ring we're just yeah. waiting for that bell and see what is going to happen I love that moment as well and I'm very fortunate to to be able to see it sit down and watch it happen
1: no plans to start doing events behind like plexiglass or anything just to make sure you're safe this time <laughs> no i'm okay i'm
2: okay you know i'm careful but i'm not we'll be fine it's i think it's all going to be good i'm i'm curious what the uh pre-fight press conference and weigh-in is going to be i'm mm. wondering what mm. sort of precautions they will take for that so that'll be interesting uh, uh we've seen some strange ones in our life with uh, you know of course tyson and lennox lewis weighing in an hour apart uh and uh you know i think of a, a fight. Fernando Vargas versus yep. um, Mayorga. I think they were in, they were in both in cages, separating each <laughs> other. <laughs> so, I don't know if there'll be I don't know if there'll be that kind of an act, but it, it'll be interesting, and I'm sure it'll be safe.
1: Jimmy, thanks so much for joining us. It's always just such a pleasure to talk to you, and we really do appreciate you coming to join us today.
2: I appreciate the time we can spend together as well. Thank you so much.
1: Um, before we get to the news undercard. Uh, this week's tweet of the week also concerns the Canelo Caleb Shove Slapper Um <laughs> I was I was chuckling at the various boxers who were commentating on Twitter about the exchange. You know, a lot of them commenting on on Canelo's form and 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 criticising Plant for missing his free shot and and commenting on you know Canelo's nice head movement and and pull counters. <laughs> but but my favourite uh, came from my friend uh, Ishe Smith, who noticed just how steamed Canelo seemed to be. And tweeted, and here again, I should offer a parental advisory for bad language. is a little late in the game for that, <laughs> right? right? Um, but it's especially here. And, and Issei tweeted, when a motherfucker learns English and his first words are, I'm going to fuck you up, motherfucker. Leave that cat alone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but I cracked the hell up when I read that.
0: Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a funny tweet. Um, and there's something irresistible uh, about Canelo cursing in his second language. Uh, his his post fight presser cursing dismissal of Demetrius Andrade not long ago was just yeah. a delight. Um, I guess w- you touched uh, uh, before we had uh, Jimmy on. You touched a little bit on the on the word motherfucker being thrown in there. I feel like we have to take a second to drill down on the disconnect between. Calling someone a motherfucker and that being a form of talking about someone's mom. Uh, yes. let, let's be clear: Plant was not insinuating that Canelo has had sex with his own mother. Uh, Canelo's mom was not invoked here in any way. Nobody's mom was really. I realize you know mother is in the word, but right. it's just an insult. No different than if you call someone a piece of shit. So just just <laughs> wanted to clarify all that for anyone who doesn't understand how curses and insults work. Uh, although I get, I suppose, uh, note to self here. If, if we interview Canelo on Radio Row, don't mention his mom. Just just leave her out of it, just to be safe.
1: <laughs> right. Don't even compliment her. Just don't even take the risk. Right,
0: right. Nothing about mothers at all. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, time now to get back to the rest of the news. Our news undercard includes some fights that were postponed but may still be on, uh, one that has mercifully been canceled. And one that is on, but who knows on what date at this point. Uh, Triller chief Ryan Kavanaugh has said that the Oscar De La Hoya, Vitor Belfort thing, which you'll recall had been slated for September 11th until De La Hoya fell victim to a breakthrough case of COVID, is now a possibility for Thanksgiving weekend. Evander Holyfield, of course, stepped in for De La Hoya in what proved a horrible embarrassment. And Kavanaugh said, quote, For all those people who seem to be upset at Vitor for what just happened with Holyfield, you've just made this a much more personal fight, if you will. And Oscar becomes somewhat of a not just his own golden boy, but coming in for revenge for Holyfield. And so we are in talks with Oscar about having him fight Vitor on Thanksgiving weekend and calling it the revenge, end quote. I'm not sure I follow all the logic of all those words (laughs) there, but that's what Kavanaugh said. Um, Fortunately, one fight that is now not taking place is the abomination between Riddick Bowe and Lamar Odom. The promoters, Celebrity Boxing, apparently saw the error of their ways and agreed to put Odom in with someone else, someone named Ohani Noah, who was apparently J-Lo's first husband. All right. Um, (laughs) As for more serious fights and fighters, One fight that is taking place, but on who knows what date at this point, is Teofimo Lopez versus George Cambosos. It was most recently set for Monday, October 4th. Then Triller realized putting it up against Monday Night Football maybe wasn't so smart, so they wanted to move it to Saturday the 16th. Lopez, Cambosos, and the Alphabet body involved at first all said no to yet another date change, but then late last week... Lopez agreed to the move, although as we record this, we have not heard that Kambosos has done likewise. Presumably by the time we record our next podcast on October 3rd, we'll know if this fight (laughs) is happening on October 4th. Uh, One bout that is definitely off for now is Joe Smith Jr.'s October 30th light heavyweight title defense against Umar Salomov as Smith was briefly hospitalized with COVID. A lot to weigh in on among those items. Kieran, any thoughts? Obviously, the good news is the Riddick Bowe fight
1: being called yes. off. Um, the amazing thing is, I don't know if you saw any of the tweets from whoever this person is behind the celebrity boxing outfit. Um, it's I don't know. As the calls <laughs> for the fight to be called off grew, mm-hmm. he responded with some like hilariously poorly written tweets. Um, mm-hmm. Responding to Lou DiBella, for example, with, I quote. Celebrity boxing is a sports entertainment niche. We would never of put Evander Holyfield in the ring to fight a real war, comma. There has to be rules, comma. Riddick Bowe versus Lamar Odom is what celebrity boxing is, comma. Judge the day after, not before.
2: Mm.
1: Okay. <laughs> then responded to another critic with, Exactly. You don't know celebrity boxing, everything you're, are Y-O-U-R, saying it is now what it is. <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> and then there was a sudden turnaround. All the best to former heavyweight champ, Riddick Bo due to the backlash and being misled from Bo's management team, comma, about Bo's health, comma. Celebrity boxing is moving forward and having Bo part of the event, but not as a celebrity boxer, comma. Lamar Odom will take on another celeb October 2nd. Um Look, decent grammar is obviously not a prerequisite for being involved in boxing. (laughs) Certain well-paid and prominent boxing writers don't know the difference between imply and infer, for example. But (laughs) Jesus, it makes you wonder what the hell kind of operation this is, really. But anyway, we clearly dodged a bullet there. Um,
0: I I, I hadn't seen any of those tweets, and I just got to say – can't believe that they're putting it on Bo's team for misleading them about his health. Have you seen an interview with Riddick Bo in the last 10 years? That's, uh, I mean, not to to insult Riddick Bo, but you didn't have to dig too deep to understand that his health is compromised on some level.
1: Uh, It's amazing. I don't know what happened to be so defiant in the face of people like Lou who clearly know what's going on in boxing, you know, and then the day after to be like oh you know our bad uh, <laughs> right. so Ugh. i don't know i don't know if uh, did the florida commission finally say yeah come on we're we can't afford to do this or or what happened i just i don't know what happened there but anyway um as for Triller, you see well see theoretically you know you listen to, to ryan Kavanaugh, and he unlike the guy from celebrity boxing doesn't sound like he's running his outfit from his mom's basement but that doesn't mean he's any more <laughs> professional um He's making excuses for this Holyfield fiasco, showing some sympathy for Evander's claim that the bout with Belfort was stopped too early, suggesting he'll fight again. Between that nonsense, between what you were saying about De La Hoya and Belfort and the extraordinary bungling of this Lopez-Cambosa state, um, they're going to have to do a lot of work to convince people they're worth sticking with. I mean, they came back blasting like out of the blocks there with a lot of money and some big high profile events but good lord i mean would you if you're a boxer really how comfortable would you feel being associated with a thriller event at this point particularly seeing what they've done with lopez and cambosis you think my god these people don't know what the heck they're doing um what a mess um yeah look as is evidenced by anyone who's listened to any of our podcasts, the barrier to entry in this sport is way too low. Um, but, you know, at least it isn't particularly harmful when you know, when we record a podcast, but uh, as to the other bit of news, just want to wish Joe Smith best, a speedy and complete recovery. Look, if it can take down a guy like Smith who is strong as a freaking ox, COVID can take down anyone. So get vaccinated people. Yeah, absolutely. All right,
0: uh, it's time to finish the show with the top five list challenge, me setting forth your task for next week. And it's a weird one. Uh, (laughs) This is unlike any top five list we've done so far. It could be the most fun either of us has had putting together a list uh, to this point. Uh, It will also be a challenge for you in terms of forcing you to get creative. But, But I think you'll like it. It spins off a question I asked Jimmy Lennon earlier in the show, a jokey question when I, tongue-in-cheek, brought up the idea of Jimmy versus Michael Buffer. Uh, Karen, do you remember the show on MTV, Celebrity Deathmatch?
1: I do, and I'm not liking the way this is going at all.
0: (laughs) You'll like it. Don't worry. You'll have fun with it. So for anyone who doesn't remember that show, it was uh, at the peak of Mills Lane's fame after the bite fight. Uh, Claymation celebrity fights with Mills as the ref. Funny concept. Not good execution. I watched a few Mm -hmm. of them and was always disappointed from a comedy perspective. But you can't knock the concept. Here's your assignment, Kieran. Get -hmm. creative and give me your top five non-participant versus non-participant fights that, well, you don't actually have to want to see the fight. You just like the idea of it and the storylines and the matchup and you think a claymation version where nobody actually gets hurt could be fun. So Buffer versus Lennon is a perfect example, but you can't use it. But that's what I'm looking for. Two two people with some sort of theoretical professional rivalry, maybe even a real rivalry, something where there's a plot line there. Uh, one, One rule is they have to be living members of the boxing universe. You can't do Howard Cosell versus Don Dunphy or something like that. But it can be broadcasters, writers, podcasters, referees, judges, trainers, promoters, and on and on. You have a lot to work with here. I'm going to suggest suggest no male versus female matches. Even, even in <laughs> fictional fantasy claymation form, I don't think we need to go down that road. But otherwise, have some fun with it. Come up with your five favorites and count them down. Uh, th- this will be either the best top five list we've ever done or the moment where this whole segment jumps the shark. I, I can't wait to find out
1: which it is. It could be like certain boxing writers against a copy of Strunk and White, for example. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. I want you to have fun with it. So if
0: you if you can if you can get a chuckle out of me by putting something off the wall on the list, uh, go go for it. Um, and and I guess the, and another thing that uh, I, I know you dread uh, assignments that involve a lot of work. One good thing about this, <laughs> even though you have to put in some time and some thought, I don't think honorable mentions are really necessary. You're just coming right. up with five fun ones, and 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 that's it. And I and maybe I'll have one or two in my holster to throw back at you.
1: Right, it's a pity you ruled out the Howard Cassell versus Don Dunphy thing because that was how I was going to bring in the younger listeners. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> the the uh, the
0: the millennials and the, the Gen Z in particular, huge yep. on Don Dunphy.
1: Huge, yes. yeah, enormous. So, uh, okay, right.
0: Okay, <laughs> I love that. I can tell completely that you're dreading this that that provides me with some joy actually
1: i'm i'm glad so you are you are correct in in as much that we'd have fun with this you are already having fun with it that's right
0: and i think our listeners will. here it seems to me everyone will enjoy this except you and that's fine
1: i think that's entirely possible and that by definition is pretty much a victory right there isn't it so there you go All right, sigh. That will do it for another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Uh, I will be magically struck by a mysterious illness next weekend. Um, but many thanks to Jimmy Lennon Jr. for for classing up the joint uh, here this week. We really enjoyed having him on. Uh, we will be back next week, uh, among other things, to preview the next big step in the heavyweight merry-go-round. Who knows what will happen next? Uh, Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury meeting for the third time. Until then, thanks for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well.